Um, Amy, is it sleeting out there? Is it sl- sleeting? Uh, sorry, whoever's picking this up 10 seconds in, that we're uh, having a church service and it's sleeting out right now. So uh, they open up the service. Okay. Uh, hopefully it'll just melt away then. Um, Janessa and Chris, this is our outline that we're using right now. There you go. Do you have the kiddos out home? Yeah. Like, they're really quiet tonight. No, that's that's the other one. Thanks, Jeff. Okay. Okay. Yeah, what... That's... Okay. All right. Well, let's uh, let's go ahead and jump into this then if, with this weather. Let's pray, and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for Second Timothy or First Timothy chapter two, uh, verses one through eight that we've been uh, working through. We pray a blessing on the reading and the hearing of your word tonight, uh, Lord. Thank you for decisions that have been made today and tonight, and the work that's been done in the ministry this uh, day and this week. And, the, and I pray God your blessing upon uh, the things that we're doing. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're in First uh, Timothy chapter two. We've covered um, uh, chapter point one in Second Timothy chapter two, verses one through three. Let's read that together. It says, "I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, uh, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior." And so we saw under that first point the priority of prayer. That's the first point, the priority of prayer. We saw the reality of war reveals the priority of prayer. Of course, we're talking about spiritual warfare, but also literal warfare. Uh, The world is in prayer right now because of Ukraine. A lot of people are uh, exercised to pray. We saw that... um, in Acts 27:22, Paul exhorted sinners on uh, a sinking ship to believe God uh, would save them. And in 1 Timothy 2:1, Paul exhorted saints in a spiritual combat to pray to God. And uh, and so, 1 Peter 5:1, Peter exhorts uh, elders to feed the flock of God. And point B, uh, the priority of prayer necessitates the proper practice of prayer. Point, so point A is the reality of war reveals the priori- priority of prayer. Point B is the priority of prayer necessitates the po- proper practice of prayer. And then um, we just pull from the text, 1 through 4, the priority of supplication, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks is the blanks there. We talked about that. And uh, point C, uh, uh, the priority of prayer reveals the target of prayer. We saw that we're to pray for all men, again, right out of the text, for kings um, and for all that are in authority. And we uh, elaborated on that. And then uh, we got to point two last week and saw the power of prayer uh, is number two, the power of prayer. The priority of prayer was number one, power of prayer number two. Point A was the peace uh, in, in this life on earth. Uh, so verses 2 through 4, he says, hey, this is what we need. We need to pray that uh, it is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. He, for, I'm sorry, verse 2, the, for, we are to pray for kings and all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Then we included verse 4, who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge 
of the truth. So uh, peace uh, in this life on earth is point A. And then we saw uh, point B is pleasing God in heaven. Uh, and then the last thing, which is what you see there in verse 4, is the need to uh, propagating the gospel. We need to be praying for that. Uh, so uh, those are things that we should be praying for even right now in, at this time. So there's a priority of prayer. There is uh, the power of prayer. We need to understand the priority of prayer and realize the power of prayer. Uh, and then, uh, then we will uh, be ready for tonight, which is the people of prayer, which is who we need to be. And so let's uh, wrap this up, our text in verses 5. Through eight, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Uh, this is very important. Here you see the Godhead. Uh, chapter 3 and verse 16 deals with the mystery of godliness. It's revealed here as well in verse 5. And then he goes on to say in verse 6, Who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness, oh, I went too far, and sobriety with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. So I meant to stop at verse 8. So uh, the people of prayer, uh, point A, if you're filling in the blank, is Jesus. That's subsided. That's good. Maybe it's turned to snow. Um, uh, the people of prayers, verses 5 through 8, uh, what we're looking at. And so we see point A, Jesus uh, is, is the first person of prayer. And when you look there at verses 5 and 6, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Now here you can see a a very direct correlation between Jesus Christ being both God and mediator. So you see the Godhead, and you see the deity, most importantly, the deity of Christ. Um, And point one is our God, right? Jesus is our God. And we established that already in the first first chapter. Uh, So in verse one, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul's very clear in his very first verse of this epistle that Jesus Christ is God. And then he reaffirms it here, and then he reaffirms it once again in chapter 3 and verse 16 as he reveals the mystery of godliness. So this is on Paul's heart and mind as he's writing to Timothy. Of course, in a Roman context, the, they believe Caesar was God, but those were, all, those were all gods with the small g. There's only one God, and that's Jesus Christ. He's making it very clear. Jesus is God, our God, point one. But he's not just our God, although he is our God. In the beginning was God. That's Jesus Christ. He was in the beginning with the Father. Point two, our mediator is Jesus, right? Our mediator is Jesus. Uh, Hebrews 4, I, I have the reference there. I don't know if you guys, I didn't put the verse in there, did I? Yes, 14, I put it on your on your thing. Oh, it's just the reference. Okay. So you want to turn to Hebrews 4. Somebody want to read Hebrews four fourteen through 16? Not all at once. Yep. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace and help or to help in time of need. Amen. 
Now, this is, you've heard this verse a lot, I'm sure, around here. One of my favorite passages, uh, just to know that I, we got this intercessor who encourages us, not just, you know, not only do we have access, he encourages us to take advantage of the access that we have to the throne. And he there very clearly shows that he is our high priest. He's a mediator, right? He's an advocate. Of course, First uh, John 2 calls Jesus Christ an advocate. So we need no other priest uh, to go to pray, and that's a very important principle. Uh, I think most of us in here, of course, that's the choir. We understand that, but a lot of people don't understand that. Uh, and, and we, you know, we make fun of Roman Catholics, but there's a lot of people that you know come to the, us asking for prayer because they don't have a prayer life, right? And so we need to lead them to Christ so that they can have their own access to God. And uh, and so they have the same mediator that we have. But until you're saved, uh, those prayers aren't answered. The only prayer God wants to hear is a prayer of repentance for salvation. And so, although that doesn't eliminate him from answering, he can answer a lost person's prayer if he chooses to, by the way. But the point is, is that the prayer that's important is that calling upon the name of the Lord to be saved. We got this mediator what an incredible resource we have in Christ. I mean, what an what a incredible access. I, I think I'm understating it so much, it's not even funny when you think about how incredible it is to have Jesus as our mediator, especially when you think about everything that they went through in the Old Testament for one nation just to have access on the Day of Atonement once a year, right? And then the, all the law and all the things, and then all that falls short. And we have so much more through Christ. And that's what Hebrews is all about, is we have a better priest, we have a better sacrifice, we have a better uh, we have a better everything. Um, and so Jesus Christ is just better. And so what a, pra- what a praise that is. So Paul's really touching on that here in verse 5, when he says, you know, we... Uh, hope I'm in, still in Hebrews, that didn't make sense. I was getting ready to... That, Hebrews 13, 5 is really good too. Um, or Hebrews 4, uh, 4 5. But in, in uh, Timothy... Back in First Timothy chapter one and verse five, or chapter two and verse five, I should say rather, there's one God and one mediator between God and men, uh, the men, the man Christ Jesus. So it's it's not the Pope, it's not the Imam, uh, it's also not the priest, right? It, it is the it is Jesus Christ, and so we all have that kind of access, that kind of teaching today. Well, we know that. But if you think about the practicality of that, uh, I heard of revivals. You know, you go back and read about when George Whitfield preached revivals in America, and Amer- You know, we have this romantic notion. You know, I was talking about Generation Z this morning. Have this romantic notion of the past. We do the same thing, right? The good old days weren't always so good. If you go back and look at like the American colonies before the before the Great Awakening, uh, it was pretty rough. This place was far from holy. Um, I say this place. I'm talking about the Eastern Seaboard, New England. Um, and so, but George Whitfield comes in and preaches, and guys, you know, of course, there was a genuine revival, and uh, and uh, I was actually read the account of uh, of uh, Benjamin Franklin, who's not a godly man in his own. I mean, he's not super godly, and his, it's his testimony that the, that every house you could hear hymns being sung, and and that the liquor had been put away. I mean, there's this incredible influence that that the Spirit of God wrought upon the people in New England. I believe I'm thinking of Boston in particular. This was the, this excerpt I was reading, and it's been a while. I'm going off from memory uh, here. But it is Benjamin Franklin speaking of the impact of George Whitfield's preaching and uh, and how it literally impacted every household. Well, when you get to, to this kind of concept that, that you don't need a Church of England, you don't need Rome, you just need the Word of God, 
you need the Holy Spirit of God, you got access to God, then the man becomes the priest of his house. It doesn't mean you don't need local church, right? That they were also going into a congregational mode at that time. God was working. Guys, that was that's huge. Would to God that that, that people could get a hold of this doctrine today and uh and uh you know, without being so ruggedly individual that they don't want to be part of a local church, but but that they would get a hold of the access that they get that they have, that they repent and it affects their house. I think wasn't it I think you were talking about that this morning, Jeff. And uh, in your message, and so um, yeah, in your illustration, actually, how what we do affects our house, right? I mean, it ultimately gets right down to we got a direct connect to God, and it affects others. And so, yeah, our mediator is sinless. Right? Yeah, they're no better. They're no better, and we're no worse. <laughs> yeah, we got the best. Amazing. We didn't have to be born. We just born again into it. We didn't have to be born into it. All right, I do need to keep moving for time's sake and, and the weather. So point three, uh, our sacrifice. What's our sacrifice? Jesus, right? So we all know that. Hebrews 2, again, uh, Hebrews 2, 9 is the reference. I'll read that for time's sake. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Now, that doesn't limit... So, this is a good verse, Hebrews 2.9. This is why we compare Scripture with Scripture. Though he was made a little lower than the angels... Why was he made a little lower than the angels? It says in Hebrews 2.9, the suffering of death. Right? It doesn't mean he wasn't God manifest in the flesh. It means he was... He constrained himself to humanity. He was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. So he was here with a purpose. He became sinful. He was all God, as we see in Second First Timothy uh, chapter three and verse sixteen, First Timothy uh, chapter one and verse one, and First Timothy two and verse five. He's all God, but he's also all man. Right? He he's lower than the angels in the fact that he was incarnate and became a man. But it didn't take anything away from who he was as God. Now this is a mystery. And uh, and that's what we've revealed. I'm getting ahead of myself in chapter 3 and verse 16. That's what he talks about, the mystery of godliness. Christ was manifest. Uh, he was uh, manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preaching to the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in the glory. And so he is our sacrifice. We see Jesus was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. You see that typified in Isaac going up to the mount, right? So he humbled himself, put himself willingly under the load of his own. Uh, of that sacrifice and carried it all the way to Mount Moriah. So, uh, and of course, the reward for Christ is that He is crowned with glory and honor. That uh, that uh, He, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. This will give a Calvinist some issues because if Jesus only tasted death for some men, then what about the ones He tasted for every man? And then why aren't they saved? I remember asking this question in Shepherds or in HBI one time, because that's a conundrum. If he tasted death for every man, then why isn't every man saved? Exactly. It really highlights the 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 the, the priority that God puts on man's decision to love, which is a free will decision. If you love God, you keep His commandment. You com- the, and the gospel is called the command. You know, we need to receive the gospel. We need to obey the word. Is what it's not called a command, but we're to obey the gospel, which is simply receive it by faith. 
You know, obeying the gospel is believing the gospel. Whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So, when we hear the gospel, it behooves us to obey it and and humble ourselves and call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. There is the there is the the will of man that is part of this. God has created men from the garden. That's why Satan attacked Adam, because Adam does have dominion on the planet. Adam, even in his fallen state, we have dominion, and we are at war because God has deemed us to be reconcilable. So. So men have to fall upon their face and uh, receive Christ because he is our sacrifice. He tasted death for all men. So for those men that don't, they will learn at the great white throne judgment that their propitiation is right here, <laughs> right? And you're now going there because you have rejected the sacrifice for sin. And that was on you. And all mouth, every mouth will be stopped. There's no doubt about that. Every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess. It's just a matter of when. And today is the day to be saved and do that. And if you don't do it today in eternity, uh, before we go into eternity future, uh, that will be done at the great white throne for those that are cast in the lake of fire. Okay, so once again, uh, we need to understand that Jesus didn't taste death for some men who receive him, but every man, regardless of whether they receive him, he gave himself, it says in 1 Timothy 2, six, a ransom for the elect. Is that what it says? No, a ransom for all. And so uh, there is a theological way that some Calvinists get around that. They call it um, I can't. It just fell out of my head. I thought that maybe the Holy Ghost doesn't even want me to go there. So forget that for now. Doesn't matter. Okay. That uh, the anyway. So the the, the uh, that should make us very uncomfortable. If we are, if we're sitting here in our sin and not availing ourselves of the love of God, which I think y'all are saved, but um, but He has provided us a way through His Son, and I suggest we always take that right because some some will. There's there are people be praying on Sunday morning. I can say this on Sunday night. There are people sitting here. I looked a guy in the eye this this morning as he left the church. And I'm backing off on him because I've already hard-pressed him a couple Sundays in a row where I'm like, hey, you need to get saved and you know it. And he's like, yeah, but I'm thinking about it. Or, yeah, I need to talk to my mom or this or that. And I'm like, today's the day, son. You need to make your decision. And you can tell I just pushed hard enough that if I push any further, he's going to be doing it because I pushed him, you know. So I just pushed hard enough. And today I just waved at him and I looked at him in the eye one more time. And I said, I'm praying for you. And he knows what I mean when I say that. He knows he needs to make a decision. And he hasn't made it yet. So be praying for this young man. Uh, he, he sits right over here. And uh, he is just, you can just see it in his face. I mean, he is, God is just fighting with him. And so be praying for him. He needs to, he needs to relent and let Jesus be his Lord and Savior. You know, he just needs to give up whatever he's hanging on to and uh, let go and let Jesus be who he is. So, um, Anyway, it should make us uncomfortable to sit under the preaching of the gospel and and not respond if we need to get saved. Now, I think we've all been there and we've all gotten saved by now, but uh, but you know what I'm saying. So there's people in our church. The reason I bring this up tonight is prayer meeting. Without getting into names and numbers, let's just pray for these that are sitting in our congregation. Uh, Cece prayed to receive Christ last week. Uh, and uh, she said the same thing. She's like, man, I've been feeling for weeks like I need to do this, right? So I wasn't aware of that, actually. So God is calling people, right? And they're hearing the gospel, and we need to be praying that they don't just hear the gospel, but they actually receive the gospel, because that's that's a big deal. All right, so... um, so, point B, uh, Paul, in 2 Timothy 2.7, uh, 
um, he's also one of the people of prayer, right? We have Jesus, who's obviously our mediator, our intercessor, but also it's not just Jesus, it's us. Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle, I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. So uh, he's a faithful apostle under authority, um, and he's also delegating authority, uh, point C, the, uh, to the men in the church. So he is he is delegating authority to the men in the church. And so uh, the men in the church, they're receiving the, the charge to pray, pray uh, the charge to, uh, to prayer, I should say, rather. I will that men pray everywhere. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means at home, it means in your car, it means at work, it means at church, it means everywhere. But it also means everywhere. Men everywhere ought to pray, but men ought to pray everywhere. Does that make sense? So there is no place we have to, we don't have to just come here to pray. We can pray in our closet. We ought to. Pray in our car. Pray in the shower. Pray wherever. Pray, 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 and then we need to make sure every man, every, men everywhere pray. That's what we're all about doing. So also, uh, so that's receiving the charge to pray, to prayer, and then leading the charge to pray. He says, lifting up holy hands. Um, of course, when, when I was young man in the Lord, I, I headed up a prayer team for the Howies on their first tour to Romania. And it was about that time that God revealed to me the significance of this passage, um, uh, <clears throat> that the same thing happened in Ephesus was happening in our church, that the, the legalists would say, don't raise your hands during worship because your hands are not holy. Everybody heard that? I mean, you'd feel like if you dared raise your hand in a praise service, you were like, Unholy, which is kind of like the opposite, right? Your hands aren't holy. Oh, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I didn't. I, I didn't mean to. And so, uh, so the liberal, on the other hand, so you'd have the theological guy, a super, you know, the Bible guy saying, "Don't raise your hands." Super sanctified. Your hands aren't holy. Am I the only one that ever heard that? You never heard that, Jeff? You would never guess who used to say that. <laughs> so, anyway. With the vigor, I mean, like bite your head off, vigor, you know. Uh, and so you'd be like, Ooh, "We ain't having none of that charismania in our church," you know. Um, and then on the other hand, then you'd have the you know the super enlightened liberal guy uh, on the other side of the fence come back around and wave his hands in the air like he just don't care, right? You know, he's just going after, uh, um, kind of making you feel like you're at a concert with your lighter ready to go, okay, or your cell phones, whichever. And so, okay. What really occurred to me uh, when it came to this this subject of leading the charge to pray was that that ultimately they were both wrong. As I was going through my devotional reading, it wasn't about whether you raised your hand on Sunday morning or put them in your pockets. That was not what it was about at all. That's just, if you want to raise your hands, raise your hands. You want to put them in your pockets, put them in your pockets. It is irrelevant. That's between you and the Lord. Do what you do. It's not a deal. What the Bible was referring to is, you can find it in Exodus chapter 17. Uh, Turn over there with me uh, quickly. I am trying to get through all of this as quick as I can. So Exodus chapter 17. I've got to be careful because I can start telling stories on myself. Okay, uh, Exodus 17 and verse 8. The Bible says, Then came Amalek and... 
<clears throat> fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men, and go out and fight with Amalek tomorrow. I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him, and, and fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass, when Moses held up his hand, that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, uh, the one hand on one side and the other hand on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And look at this, verse 13, And Joshua, which is Jesus, right, that's Yeshua, discomfited Amalek, the, uh, discomfited uh, Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword, and the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nissi, which means the Lord is my banner. For he said, Because the Lord has sworn that that the the Lord uh, that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So you see here in this story what's going on. Moses needs his hands lifted so that God will have his will done because that's how he ordered it. That's how that's how they did. They literally hold his Aaron and her hold his hands up so that he can intercede on behalf of the nation of Israel so they can get victory at the hands of Joshua. Jesus is the one out doing the fighting. I love that story. It's so encouraging. So I understand as I'm reading this and I'm going through the New Testament, I'm like, oh, wait a minute, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Oh, now we're talking about, now the priest would also, as a witness, they could lift their hands, but it's, it's about Jesus doing the work, right? And it's not about, it really isn't about our physical hands. It's about lifting up our hands in prayer. And it's cute to talk about, you know, lifting up your hands to the Father, Abba Father, and, you know, like when a kid wants you to pick him up, and that's sweet, and that's good. There's nothing wrong with that either. That's a wonderful sentiment. Um, I think that's a good thing, because there's truth in that as well. But the reality is, the doctrine, I really believe the doctrinal uh, significance of this is is the intercessory prayer that we need to be doing on behalf of the body of Christ is a type, it's typified with Moses, right? The law can't get it done without Jesus, who's the one that takes the sword and gets the work done, right? The law fails us, but Jesus never fails. We need to pray. We need to lift up holy hands. We need to be praying the scripture back to the Lord so that he can do the work. Because we are priests and kings. we got this priestly work of prayer to do. So Christian men are to be warriors. We're to lift our hands in prayer under the banner of Jesus Christ, helping one another in prayer so that Joshua, who's Jesus, will go forth and slay uh, the valley dwellers, right? The naysayers, the half-empty folks who say God can't. No, God can. And we need, we need to make sure that we're lifting up our hands in prayer. That's why we have prayer meeting to encourage one another in prayer. That's why this meeting is packed out with prayer warriors. Oh, well, maybe not. But anyway, Christian men are, are, to, are to be, not only to be warriors, they're to be waivers. And not only do they not uh, not only do we intercede as Moses for the people of God in a battle, but we intercede as royal priesthood, who offered the wave offering in the Old Testament. So if you were in a prayer meeting uh, and you saw somebody waving their hands, it might make you uncomfortable. Um, but uh, the priesthood was consecrated by a sacrifice of two lambs and a basket of unleavened bread and anointed oil in Exodus 29, 1-24. through 24. I'm not going to read that for time's sake. But Aaron and his sons um, would uh, 
would don the royal apparel of the Levitical priesthood and take on and take two lambs. One would be slain at the door and given as a burnt offering to sanctify the altar. The second would be slain and the blood would be applied to the right thumb, the right ear, and the right foot of the high priest and then sprinkled upon their garments and the altar. The second lamb, along with the loaf of bread, uh, unleavened bread, and a basket of wafers was to be waved before the Lord before being offered on the altar as a burnt offering. So what is that? That's a wave offering. So you got these warriors. You got warriors that go out under the banner. We go under. We go. We go forth under the banner of God as well. But there's also the priests who were wavers, right? So we're warriors and wavers. And when I say wavers, what I'm talking about is is we're, we're lifting up the sacrifice of praise, beloved. Um, what Paul is saying is that we are a royal priesthood with a responsibility to pray and intercede for all men, all the time. Always. In First Peter two nine he says this for ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And he hath made us kings and priests unto God, Revelation one six, and his father and his father to him be glory and dominion for ever and ever. Amen. So we should be fulfilling the role of warriors and priests, waving our hands in the air like we just don't care. But not just waving our hands in the air, right? It's it's a type, it's a picture of of uh, of lifting up the word of God and offering the bread. Uh, of prayer to the Lord so that we can intercede on behalf of God's people. That's certainly what the man of... Timothy is a... It's called a pastoral epistle. Paul is instructing Timothy on what needs to be happening. I pray that men everywhere pray lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. they got to believe that God's able and He will and that Jesus will go before and do the work. Also, there's a need to, to make sure that we're offering the sacrifice of prayer, that we're actually diligent in praying. And it's like the wave offering of the priesthood in the Old Testament. Point three, uh, this will be revealing the fruit of prayer. Revealing the fruit of prayer. So you should have receiving the charge to prayer, leading the charge to pray, and revealing the fruit of prayer. So without wrath, I'm sorry, and doubting, if prayer is not prioritized and practiced, we will not realize His power, and we will become uh, contentious and unbelieving. You remember Thomas in John chapter 20, he was not willing even to believe God, though he was committed to the death because he had, well, he hadn't prayed. This is a good place to stop. You know, remember what he said the first Sunday night service? He's like, hey, uh, well, he didn't show up the first Sunday night service, but they're like, hey, Thomas, man, we missed you at Sunday night prayer service. Where were you? Well, you know, well, Jesus showed up, man. He was there. No, I don't mean like he showed up like in a spiritual form. He like showed up in the room, man. He was there. And Thomas is like, well, you know. Yeah, he's like, eh, whatever. If I put my finger in, my hand in, then I'll believe it. I want to see the holes. Well, sure enough, he finally got to praying. He started asking God to show him evidence, and God did. He showed up in the room, and until I see him, right, his faith was, was not made sight. So some are angry with God because they do not spend time with him. And uh, they don't join him in professing that he is Lord, he is God, and uh, he is able and willing and, and ready to heal the heart and restore the soul in a right relationship with God. And man, God is able. Uh, again, I'm going back to what Jeff was talking about this morning. God's more than able, right? It's not if the problem isn't God, the problem is us. 
right? We just need to be about believing that God is who He says He is, and He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. And I, I do believe that God takes even half-hearted attempts, and He'll bless them. I mean, I can tell you, I can tell you the prayer. I'm amazed at the. I mean, God is waiting sometimes. I believe for us just to get, just to get a little, you know, just get the inertia started, just a little bit, and man, He'll take you from there. When I prayed for Elizabeth, uh, my daughter. Uh, I literally was on the front porch, and I was grieving over my son, who was now starting to toddle, you know. And I, and I, you know, you guys know our situation. Uh, we were without children, and I literally was on the front porch. I wasn't like laying down prostrate. And I, there's times to lay flat on your face before God and pray. And I, I, I don't tell you if I do that, but that happens probably more than you know. <laughs> so, but the point is, is that I'm not doing that kind of praying, right? I'm not super holy, sanctified. I'm literally on the front porch. And I, it's a beautiful day, and I remember looking around, and, and I was just grieved in my heart. You ever have moments where you're just having a thought, and I'm, it's just heavy. And I'm thinking about my son, and I'm thinking about my wife, and I'm thinking about this family unit, and I'm thinking, man, my son needs a sibling. But Lord, we can't provide that, it doesn't seem, naturally. So we need something. I mean, whatever. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like that kind of prayer. Lord, help! I've had two of those that happen like that. And, uh, and uh, man, I tell you what, it was like, boom. Amy's like, hey, da 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 As soon as you told me about the situation with her, my brother-in-law and sister, Elizabeth came to us through a crazy set of circumstances. I was like, I almost knew immediately. I was like, that's that's it. That's that's it. And sure enough, at length, it was that was it. It was a, There's a long story that I, won't, I don't have time to get into, but it was just a simple prayer on the front porch. Uh, just a grieving heart, just kind of like a groaning, you know. I didn't verbalize it out out loud. I just in my heart was talking to God, saying, "Hey, Lord, I don't know what you're going to do about this because we don't have the money, I don't have the time, we don't have it. Seems like the ability right here, so uh, or you're not making that happen. So, hey, help." Yep. Amen to that, and uh, he's done, he does that all the time. I don't know how. You, so we sometimes get this super sanctified prayer. You know, I think the thing I, I want to say this that I got examples of selfish. Pray- the reason I remember these prayers that God answered when I just started praying is because they blessed me, and I can give you. I can sit here for quite a while and just tell you answered prayers that God provides when I just kind of start praying. I mean, very casually. And I'm not saying we should always casually pray, but it's okay to casually pray because you're talking with God. But then there's other times I do think that we need to be much more diligent. I know for interceding for the body of Christ, um, uh, interceding on on matters of, of great import, there are times when we just got to say, you know what, I'm going to pray for this, and I'm going to be diligent regardless of how I feel about it. It's not a casual front porch prayer, you know. And so um, there's room for both is what I'm saying. There's that walking with God, praying with God, uh, praying all way, everywhere. You know, I pray that men, you can take that verse however you want. All, praying Men praying everywhere or men praying everywhere. You say, however you want to take that, but pray. And then there's also this, this, the realities of lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. There are times when God puts us in the pressure cooker of life and we've got to choose to believe God's word and we've got to trust Jesus to go out and win the battle. And we've got to keep the hands in the air, you know, uh, and not make fun and wave them like we don't care, but wave them in the air because we do care, right? We keep the, we keep the connection to heaven. God, we need your help. We're still here. I'm not going anywhere. I'm still praying for this, Lord. We need, we need help. 
Um, the statistic I read this morning about 20.8% of people, yeah, in generations, that's, that's, that's alarming. You know. Yeah, some of those stats were 2018 stats. Not all of them, but some of them were. That was an amalgamation. Uh, that list was an amalgamation of different things I'd collected. Um, but, uh, but anyway, you know, we do need to be in prayer uh, that that God's will regarding the gospel and our role is accomplished. And so, I'm going to stop there. Thank you for your time. Uh, we've covered these three points. Next time we'll get together, we'll pick it up in verse uh, eight and nine and go forward there. But praying men should understand the priority of prayer, the power of prayer, and praying men should be the leaders uh, in prayer. So let's go. That's what we're going to do tonight. Is go to prayer. Um, so we've talked about it. Now we got to do it. Let me give you. Let me turn off my recorder, and I'll give you a few more prayer points, and we'll be dismissed. And I do understand if you need to hit the road because because of the the weather.